Today on Movie Wallers, we talk about The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Annette, and The Many Saints of Newark. It's time for Movie Wireless. Hi, this is Jeff. Hi, it's Rashmi. And yes, you as well. Movie Wireless is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news, and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming, or in the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. Greetings. Hello. Fall is upon us. Indeed, yes. <coughs> for sure. And it's killing Yazdi. Clearly. <laughs> yes. I'm choking all the pollen in the air. <laughs> How is it October? Really? I mean, I'm seeing Halloween stuff outdoors. I know. Yeah, I actually, know. I saw my first pumpkins. Today. Did you? <laughs> yeah. I saw like pump, like puppets. Yeah, I'm like, uh, well, we have a month, don't we? But I guess Halloween's such a big deal. I've never got it. Well, I, I guess if you yeah, weren't born I, and I raised either, here. But- I mean, for a lot of people, Halloween is their Christmas. It's right? true. It's big, this it's is the true. biggest holiday. Yes. Yeah. One of our dear friends. Remember? Yes. <coughs> yeah, I mean, I I think if you weren't born and raised here, it's not going to be one of those things that you kind of plan for. I well, mean, although, and, I think fact, it's a time thing. I think nowadays around the world, Halloween has now been exported around the world. So it's the age at which we grow I up. think it's the age. We're old now, you know? <laughs> Uh, here's the thing. Our neighbourhood has a complete lack of school age or Halloween age oh. children. Um, we have the opposite. We have people who are ready for the coffin. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. Ba- we have basically <laughs> well, then it should be appropriate. <laughs> people who no, are- I think it's too close Halloween. to home they're, is the they're, problem. They're creepy, by, they're oh, okay. creepy by default without their costumes. Yes. Um, but no, it's kind of like the first, literally the first year we, we moved here, we like, okay, let's get some candy because somebody might come and, you know, like, of course, the next day we like sat there with a bunch of candy that I'm like chewing through thinking humbug. <laughs> kind of glad they didn't come in some ways because I, I, I'm not, I'm not game for that. I'm not like, hey, sweet kids have candy. I'm like, oh, here, have this and bugger off, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I guess now in the time of, you know, COVID and um germaphobes it must be even worse yeah 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 speaking of which just a segue i think halloween the movie is coming out correct and we didn't see did you see the jamie lee curtis one from i did oh i didn't sign us up for the screener because screening because i thought you'd be too scared yazdi and wet chicken no it's not scary at all at least the last one was not it's it's gory and it's brutal but it's not scary scary and by the way uh they are doing so there are there are simultaneous releases of many movies on HBO Max, and there are simultaneous releases of many movies which are on Netflix, like the Jake Gyllenhaal movie Guilty, which, which I'm is already dying on Netflix, to see. Is also, which I'm dying to see is also in theaters, or maybe it's in theaters a week before it comes on Netflix. But for Halloween, they are doing a first-time thing where they are going to be simultaneously releasing it on Peacock. So if you have the NBC's own version of uh, Netflix and so forth, Peacock, then uh, it's going to be available right away. Oh, so wow. I just thought I could watch it on Peacock. Okay. Cool. <laughs> we hadn't watched the first one. or I've, I've, I haven't seen any of the Halloweens because I'm chicken. Yeah, chicken. No, I saw one back in the day. but Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, the right. one anyway. from the one from right before the pandemic was pretty good. Okay. With I Jamie mean, I Lee love Curtis. Jamie Lee Cur- Curtis. Yeah. I yeah. want to see more of her. No, she was in yeah. the original ones, right? Correct. Back from back in the day. I yes, mean, this yes, is correct. a, a re... She was 17 in the first Halloween yeah, yeah. movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, well may, may, we might have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, and I, I agree. I want to see more of Jamie Lee Curtis, period. Like, she was in... Uh, uh, Everything. Ah! <laughs> no, no, no. She was in uh, Knives Out, last. Remember? Oh, that's right. Which yeah. she was great in. She was great, and yeah. So I think I think she she would make a great character actress, and she should be in more films for sure. Well, maybe that's a that's a. We have a friend who has two daughters that we've been promising to do a scary movie night with. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe that's our pick because we're not going to do the Conjuring because she had a, a personal experience oh, that was no. all too much like a Conjuring movie. And so, I, I still can't stop what? thinking about yeah, no. that. Yeah, yeah that, that's. Please we'll don't tell, tell you me. offline. <laughs> no, no, no please I don't, don't think we should actually. It involves no. it involves uh, house sitting and just no other, uh, literally otherworldly type stuff and yeah. If, no. if if I thought she was some unhinged kind of young woman, I would be like, oh, whatever. This woman has her head screwed on her shoulder. Adorable, yeah. And I'm like. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I can't explain this stuff. Anyway, we segue too much. <laughs> we went down the Halloween rabbit hole. We did. Thanks for that, Rashmi. <laughs> All right. Um, three movies. Let's get on with it. Um, we have uh, the, Eyes of Ta- the Eyes of Tammy Faye, Annette, and The Many Saints of Newark. So let's tackle them in that order. Yazdi, can you tell us about The Eyes of Tammy Faye? I certainly can. So if you right now go into your search uh, feature on Google, and if you type in the eyes of Tammy Faye, then a documentary, which is right now on Amazon Prime, will prop up. And uh, that documentary is a real world look at the extraordinary rise, fall and redemption of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker. And if you remember from the late 80s, early 90s, um, she and her husband were one of the first, uh, you know, mega church kind of couples who were preaching through, you know, through television and through phone. And they had like so much wealth and people were sending in, uh, you know, untold amount of money to them. And uh, eventually both of them got caught in a lot of scandal and, and so forth. And the documentary at least makes the case that um, his wife perhaps was not as much in on what transpired as as the world would have her believe. And for some strange, unfathomable reason, they have given exactly the same name to the film version of that documentary. It's also called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And uh, it's essentially based on the same characters. It stars Jessica Chastain in the main role, uh, Andrew Garfield as the preacher, and Cherry Jones as well. Uh, it's based on the documentary. So Abe, Sylvia and Fenton Bailey, who made the documentary, get the uh, the writing credits, as does Randy Barbado. Uh, Jessica Chastain, I think, uh, has not been celebrated enough. She's been on in her fair share of remarkable movies, and she is getting a lot of Oscar press uh for her performance here. And I'm again, I was very eager to see it, but missed the chance to see it. And I... I don't know how I feel about actors who kind of 
put on like tons of makeup to look like somebody else and it's then I can never tell whether it's the makeup that I'm supposed to be impressed by or the acting so I'm, re I'm really uh, eager to hear what you guys have to say about this one I know you both saw it okay so yes you said it I would write the name of Jessica Chastain in that nomination slot immediately she's the one reason to watch this movie um, she's absolutely unrecognizable a because of the makeup like you just said but also it is an incredible performance when you look at the footage of the real Tammy Faye Jessica Chastain has captured the essence of this woman um, and embodied that person um, it, it's a fantastic performance and I think it's a really good story um, I think it doesn't necessarily take a stand on evangelicals per se and I don't want to you know say anything bad about a whole religion um but it def it definitely takes a stand I think on TV evangelism mm -hmm. um and I like how it starts to pass out how the politics of evangelism became entwined in mm -hmm. what is now the GOP um and the vast sums of money that transfer hands so it's an interesting story from the perspective of the history of tv evangelism and evangelism in the u.s as well as the personal journey of this couple that was very very interesting and i think it it a lot of it rests on jessica chastain's shoulders and she absolutely delivers i really like this movie uh, yeah, I have Joe? to correct you. Actually, I didn't see this one. Um, I, I basically oh. I started watching the beginning of it, but ah. I then that was it was a kind of a very busy weekend, and I had some work things I had to take care of. So the casualty was my my watching of this screening. Uh, I did see um, you know parts of it as I was wandering around the house, um, and I mean I I'm not going to review it, but I mean I can second what Rashmi said. I mean Chastain is almost unrecognizable as Chastain in this. She becomes you know it's one of those transformative roles so i think you know gosh um you know wow what a what an amazing um i mean chastain's possibly you know one of my favorite female leads in hollywood i think she she just seems to bring enough um you know truth to every role that she inhabits and and certainly that seems to be the case here so yeah, it looks like it looks like a very powerful movie, but sorry, I can't review it. So, Rashmi, tell us, um, you think it's a fair telling? I think it is um, a no holds barred hmm. telling of two people that got swept up into something, hmm. and I think it is a fair telling of how people can be sheep. Hmm. So I think it kind of plays those two aspects quite well. There's like a macro story and then a micro story. Um, I'll say it's it's quite long. I can't remember how long it is. Um, it felt like it was, it was long. Um, two hours and six minutes. Two yeah, so I would say it's a little bit too long. It felt like it got a little bit soapy in the middle. And it chose not to explore certain things like there was, you know, it, it implies that Jim Baker 
was um, a homosexual. So it it kind of alludes to it, but it never really quite goes there. And then, um, you know, Tammy Faye actually ended up marrying someone called, um, I think it was Roe Ro Messiner. And it kind of stays away from that second part of her life in terms of her relationship. Um, but overall, definitely worth your time. This is a really good movie. Um, and I can sum this one up. Um, go ahead, Yasti. No, I was listening to, or maybe I read a uh, a review of the of this movie, and they were saying that Jessica Chastain is one of the few female actors right now who can kind of play as effectively on either side of the spectrum. Meaning she can be very sweet and likable and authentically somebody caring, but on the other hand, she can also play somebody who is. Uh, in demand of control and who can be manipulative and you know mm. the fact that she very can, can very easily slide into both of those works to her advantage in this particular role and, I, and I, you know i think about i mean i think of many of her contemporaries and my, i mentally tend to slot people into one of those if i want to play somebody devious i would pick you know if i want somebody uh, somebody to play cold i would pick nicole kidman if i want somebody to play you know, sweet, I would pick Rachel McAdams or whatever, but you know, it's she can kind of seem to be able to do all of it. And I think it's time that she's recognized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've all spoken about how much we remember she was nominated for the help, I think, and then um, you know, she's done Zero Dark Thirty for Zero, Zero Dark, Dark 30. Thirty. And then she's also mm-hmm. done um the that most was, violent year, Molly's game. Molly's oh, game. Yeah. I mean she was I loved her so in the Martian Interstellar. I have to get yes. that one in. Um, yeah, so many. Yeah. So, so again, um, I I would definitely, I will definitely be considering um, Jessica Chastain, and you know, Andrew Garfield holds his own. So he, you know, he's much younger as an actor in comparison to Jessica Chastain, and he's having to play her husband, but he holds his own, and he's such a great actor too. So I didn't find myself looking at the screen and saying, "Oh my God, you know, who's this toy boy?" Um, he he does a really good job. Um, so so I think again, solid. I want to give it more than seven, but I, I'll I'll give it a solid seven. Very okay. good. Yeah, definitely worth the watch. Yeah, I was eager to watch it, and it's not it's not online on VOD anywhere. No. It's still playing in the theaters. Correct. Only. Yeah. So I'm sorry I missed it. All right, <clears throat> second movie of the week then is Annette. And I'll give a quick background on this by saying that it is directed uh, by Leos Carax. Your favourite director, Joe. I'm going to provide some context here. So, possibly one (laughs) of the first episodes of Movie Wireless where I think the three of us... um, Diverged. Well, I think we kind of had an online bust-up with this respect to this director's previous movie, Holy Motors. Uh, Rashmi and Yazdi saw something in that movie that I think only a person on uh, crystal meth could see, and they enjoyed the heck out of it, and I couldn't put it together. I found myself sitting there watching two hours of insufferable nonsense, um, and it's become kind of our reference point for a WTF movie that Joe doesn't like. Yes. So anytime, yes. anytime we get a WTF movie that Joe doesn't like, we go, yeah, this is a Holy Motors moment. 
That's all thanks to director Leos Carax. So thank you, Leos Carax, for introducing that into our vernacular and <laughs> movie, our movie while as law. Um, that said, this movie, uh, I'll read the pricey here on Rotten Tomatoes. So Los Angeles today, Henry is a stand-up comedian with a fierce sense of humor who falls in love with Anne, a world-renowned opera singer. Under the spotlight, they form a passionate and glamorous couple with the birth of their first child, Annette, a mysterious girl with an exceptional destiny. Their lives are turned upside down. Two leads in this are Adam Driver and Marianne Cotillard. There's a host of other folks here, too. Um, I'm really interested to hear what you thought of this because honestly, um, I just knowing who's at the helm, <laughs> I, I'm kind of prepared for a level of frustration when I watch it. So what, what, what did you think? Yes. You go first. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh, I'll, I'll just say up front, I did not like it, um, but I admired it. I don't know if there's too many filmmakers making movies like this anymore. Uh, I think it's so pure in its purpose. Uh, it has a vision. And, and, and Joe, it's not at all like Holy Motors. It might, this might actually be one of his most accessible films. And that it's A happens, B happens, C happens, D happens. There are definitely some WTF moments. And I think... There's something to do with the main character of Annette herself, and they they have made a choice, a very deliberate choice about how that how Annette is portrayed in the movie, which will either really frustrate people or get them thinking. It didn't frustrate me; it just got me thinking. And I've since read a few things, and I'm like, okay, I see what they were trying to do. It didn't work for me at all. Um, I can kind of summarize the entire movie in one sentence, which is that. A terrible man is a jerk and bad things happen because of his decisions. And then finally, his daughter has had enough of it. That's the whole movie. Okay, pretty much. Uh, but I think, I think the plot is really just something to hang on as a way of creating this very artificial, but still very iconic kind of uh, love story about two people who were not right to begin with. They were not right at any point. Uh, and it's a way to make it a musical. So the Sparks brothers, who are quite beloved music icons, they have done the music for the whole thing. And, uh, you know, they sing their hearts out. So Adam Driver sings, Marion Cotillard sings, uh, Simon Helberg, who was on uh, 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 Third Rock from the Sun. Third from, no, uh, no, what is the... I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> anyway. I can't help you. Use words. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there, there, there's a third, there's a third uh, the character in the theory. movie. The Big Bang Theory. Sorry, I'm, I'm awful. I don't watch a lot of Big Bang, and so I lost the senior moment there, anyway, Yes, totally. I'm having too many senior moments. But anyway, he's in the movie as well. So... I, so the movie is trying to be iconic. It's trying to be very cinematic. Uh, a lot of things which we're seeing is very artificial. Uh, the best part about the movie is the opening number where all of the actors who are, who are in the movie show up as actors and they get ready to become 
part of this movie and I love that opening number and how it, it's, it's so heady and energetic and so forth. Uh, for me, the reason why I didn't like the movie is the Adam Driver character. Adam Driver is a great actor. I did not like that character. He was insufferable. He was just causing destruction everywhere around him. And after a while, I'm like, why am I even watching a movie about a person so unlikable? That's my big issue with it. But I appreciate the movie. I don't like it. Rashmi? Okay, so I'm going to start by saying, um, <laughs> back in June of this year, there was an interesting documentary called The Sparks Brothers <laughs> that came out. And um, it got quite a lot of acclaim. We never really reviewed the movie um, on Movie Wallers, but I watched the documentary and because I had interest in 80s music and they were very big in the 80s during that electronic um, synthesizer era. And unbeknownst to me, they've had a long career since then. So they are very interesting people themselves. So when you put music by Sparks and written by the man from Holy Motors, there's not much more you need to say about what type of movie you're going to get. This movie got... Very high praise coming out of Cannes, I believe. It was the opening opening night. Yeah, uh, and it is a... And we just spoke about Dear Evan Hansen in our last podcast. This too mm-hmm. is a musical. And I can't say I love the movie, but I can't stop thinking about it because it's very clever in the way that there's so little dialogue and so there's a whole song which is, we are in love, we are in yeah. love, we are in love, we're really in love. And it would yeah. irritate the pants off you, Joe. But the fact that it's almost like a two and a half, three minute number where there isn't any dialogue, it, each song is like that and each song is propelling the story forward. So mm-hmm. I kind of admire the genius of it in a sense that it's laughing at us as an audience. And the fact that it's a story about these two famous people who get together, um, I think is sort of holding a mirror up to us as an audience that says, um, we are obsessed with celebrity and Mm -hmm. what they do and how they do it. And it's beautifully shot. I think Mm -hmm. the cinematography and the way it's shot is beautiful. And then what's even more interesting is that the baby Annette and as a child is actually like a Chucky doll. So (laughs) it's very strange. That's what I was referring to earlier. It's very strange. And I think that there's a lot of symbolism in this. So Mm -hmm. he's always in green and she's always got some form of eaten apple, right? So... Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like there's more to this, but it, you won't get it on first watching. First watching, I think you're going to be either super irritated, which is why I'm glad you didn't watch it, Joe. Um, although it's accessible as a story, it's it feels gimmicky. It feels like a gimmick, but I think there's actually way more to this than meets the eye. And I certainly can't stop thinking about it, but I would not recommend this to everyone. And I would say that just know, again, Sparks Brothers music and they've helped write the story and written by, you know, the direct and directed by the director of um, Holy Motors. I think I, 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 I think it's interesting what you're saying, Yazdi, about Adam Driver, because it plays he's so perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because he plays that kind of brooding, you know, gawky, um, entitled person so well. He inhabits that so well. Um, and it gets quite fruity. There's quite a lot of sexy time in this. Um, I didn't mind it. I thought it was really interesting and it's something very different. But like Yazdi, I didn't love it. I Like Holy Motors, I was like blown away. This yeah. one, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I feel like the gimmick quotient is very high. And it, it's exactly that. I mean, I think it's meant to make you think about the choices they have made at various points. Yeah, there's that apple from the very beginning. And I think yeah. it's meant to be... They're Adam and Eve. At yes. some level, yes. she's all of womankind. And at some level, he's all of mankind. Correct. Man is an ass, you know, and the woman is the bearer of his children who is going to be all suffering. So I can I can see that. But yeah, it, it you need to kind of put up with a lot to kind of get to that point. I Unlike you, Rashmi, I loved the melodies, but the lyrics did annoy me because they were too... Too literal. They were too literal. They were like, exactly like, I am in love. I love you so much. I love you. I mean, it's like, I can write that. But anyway. But that's uh, the whole, that's that's the whole whole gimmick of it, right? Like, um, it literally is like, yeah, I don't even, I don't want to give any more away. I was going to sing one of the other songs, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would be like we are on a podcast and we are doing right. movie reviews. And there are three microphones. On yes, the desk there and are. And one too. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah, and since you mentioned I, the Annette character, their <laughs> daughter, um, who is, I mean, they have a whole. They have like a hundred people in their credits as puppeteers. So they have used very, very accomplished puppeteers to play their daughter, and it's very odd that why would. You, a movie called Annette, you know, why is Annette played by a puppet in a movie? And I've read a few things since then and it makes sense to me. And I, it might be mildly spoilery because something happens to that character in the last scene again. So there's a lot going on here. And again, I appreciate that somebody is thinking outside the box. They're not just making another movie, you know, for for the Hallmark Channel, or they're not just doing the endless This is you know, very sequel. not Hallmark Channel, Yazdi. Yeah. This it's is so, so not Hallmark. It's very innovative. It's And, you can, know, Marion Cotier. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say, can I, can I just interject here and say, I'm already annoyed hearing about yeah, it. Yeah, you're I can tell. <laughs> like, Look at Joe's face. I wish we could. Can we take a picture of your face? I'm going to take a um, picture of Joe's face annoyed by Holy Leah. Joe, you look so annoyed. Yeah, uh, um, I'm. I'm literally like already like these artistic choices. I think, um, and look, I'm. I'm not against movies that are a little bonkers, right? I mean, Holy Motors was just a very frustrating experience because I, I couldn't string together a narrative. It just seemed like a a bunch of unconnected, annoying, pointless vignettes, and I just couldn't. I couldn't cope with it. But you know, Darren Aronofsky's mother was possibly among my favorite movies that year right like that is completely unhinged and very abstract so i'm not i'm not totally against movies that don't have a standard narrative structure but this already sounds so pretentious to me like i think this one is closer to mother okay this one is closer to mother than it is to holy motors okay maybe not Yeah, and I think it's it's the Sparks Brothers' attempt to do some form of opera, in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. 
and the character played by Marianne Cotillard happens to be an opera singer. But I feel like this is the Sparks Brothers attempt at doing something very modern and challenging. And um, their music was always very experimentative and innovative and probably ahead of its time. And so they have, you know, they have like a diehard fan base. Um, so again, I think know what you're going into. Um, it's so innovative as a movie though. And I think my take on the puppet Annette Yazdi is that we're watching the world through Adam Driver's eyes. And so he only sees her as an accessory in a way. Exactly. And that's what some of the reviews have said. And the minute I I read that, that made complete sense that for him, it's not even a living being. It's just something Right. You said it perfectly, an accessory. So he, he does not see life in his own daughter until it's too late. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I am always there for Marion Cotillard. Like, you know, I she's think she's amazing. one of the finest living actors. And, you know, the camera here just loves her. Yeah. She looks like a million bucks. And she is very brave. And so is Adam Driver. Adam Driver is having a remarkable year. And, you know, he's going to be in just in the next few months, he's going to be in two movies directed, both of them directed by Ridley Scott. Wow. With Adam Driver in the lead roles. So, you know, he's having a great year. And yeah. I, 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 he's so good in such a... Despicable. He's so good here yeah. in such a despicable role. I cannot think of another actor being as committed to this. And mm. he kind of plays this uh, kind of very abrasive stand-up comedian who kind of yells back at the audience and kind of, it's a very difficult thing to do. And it seems to be shot live or at least with a lot of the audience members present. And he has to be very raw and very, he just nails it. I mean, I I never for once doubted this character. I was appalled and disgusted by him, but I never thought this was somebody acting. And that's, that's saying something. And the only other thing I would say is this movie is on Netflix. I mean, sorry, it's on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon, Amazon, give it a try. You know, it may annoy you, or maybe it, it might be something pretty pretty incredible and um, ambitious. Can I ask a quick sure. question about Adam uh, Driver's character? I mean, Adam Driver has a very unique kind of screen presence, and I think as much as I admire his acting, like Marriage Story from, you know, to something as diverse as, you know, the Kylo Ren Star Wars character, it always comes across as, as Adam Driver there's a stroppiness there is a kind of a arrogance arrogance coupled with torture coupled with you know internal pain coupled coupled with assholeness like i just want to ask i mean i always see adam driver before i see the character in everything and, and that's not trying to take away i mean his performance in marriage story literally you know drew me to tears you know so i think I, I believe him and I believe what he's doing, but he's always Adam Driver to me. Yes. Is that the case here? Yes. Okay. But but again, I can't separate out whether he's getting these roles because he's Adam Driver or that he just plays this part really, really well. It, even I, I think like, the only time I've seen him not be Adam Driver is almost in that that movie Patterson where he was a little bit different and oh, a bit yeah, more subtle, so right? But he is... I wouldn't be surprised if he gets Oscar love for this for this role. Um, it's it's v- very powerful, and it's all based on him. And 
a lot of those parts when he's on stage is kind of experimentative again um how you would imagine you know experiment theater mm. mm-hmm. like that annoying stuff that you would pay for at like the edinburgh festival or right you know and then i walked into the room and saw an apple exactly exactly and i'm gonna lie on the floor and be a sausage yeah <laughs> I, so i think i i think uh, like i don't I, i don't think i would i would buy adam driver playing somebody who is bullied for example right i mean he, just his physical presence is so larger than life that you know there are certain kind of roles that come to him for sure but i think this one even while being adam driver it's so specific it's somebody who is so i mean somebody who can't help being just within himself it's all about him all the time and what he's asked to do on screen i think is i think any other actor would run away it's it's being so raw so i i don't think it's just him being adam driver i think if he just showed up there this role wouldn't work he is working his ass off and it doesn't okay. show i mean i just believed him as an actor so i yeah kudos to him the acting is is remarkable all right uh, yeah oh so so uh Scores. you know this is Scores, yeah. <sighs> i'm somewhere between a seven and an eight Um, you're having trouble today. I am. You, you. N- Welcome you normally- to my world. Yes, yes, <laughs> he's polluted me. Like Rashmi's normally bang on the integers. She's like no messing around. It's like a, you know five, six, seven, or eight. But you know today, I, it, it's a difficult movie. But I feel like I have to give it an eight. What? Yeah, it's- nothing you said has led me to believe you no, want to give this so eight. No, but it's so brave. It's a really yeah. brave movie. <laughs> Which is so strange, but I can't stop thinking about it. I watched it yesterday morning mm. and 24 hours later, I cannot get this out of my head because it's so ridiculous, but it's really challenging and it's good to have this. I want a world, as Yazdi always says, where people make these movies. Yeah. I don't want to work that hard. I know. <laughs> I know. I just kept watching it thinking, Joe will hate this. Yazdi. And... And yeah, I mean, I if you wouldn't have given it the eight, I would have. Oh, good. Uh, so be- because okay. you gave it an eight, yeah. Because I think I think we need to at least support people who are doing something out of the ordinary. Otherwise, all we'll be seeing is you know, mom's Christmas and father come back from war and you know the, the usual stuff. And nothing wrong with mom's Christmas and father come back from war, but you you need something <laughs> more challenging every once in a while. And this really tests you. The other thing I, that is I think relevant here is that the uh the director Karak Karaks however you pronounce it he insisted that none of the music be done as playback so all the music was recorded while they're acting oh, right like, so it's not a la, like a la les miserables a la les miserables so you know they're singing while they're having sex and and you know Marion Cotillard says it's very difficult while you're lying down horizontally to be singing and projecting and, and having the the you know the mics catch it and you know there's he is singing while he's rushing out of a theater with a live mic attached to it so who asked them to do it i don't know but seeing that they did that i think the level of difficulty is is, is pretty hard and nobody can accuse these actors of not being committed so it, it is a work of genius it's flawed i it, i didn't like it 
uh, at the end, but I admire the pants out of it. I don't know why you would do things like that. That just seems like torturing your actors for no good reason. Like, he... Well. No, why? <laughs> like, there just seems to be no good reason. There's no artistic merit to that. It's kind of like, you know, it's like when a movie is is uh, shot in black and white without a good artistic reason, right? If it's a period piece, I get it. But sometimes... You know, some young some young filmmaker decides to go all hipster and retro and like, right, I'm going to do this black and white. And I don't know. They, these kind of things really irritate me. Roma. I'm, I'm, was touché. in black and white. Touche. Right. <laughs> but, but I think, I, I didn't realize this until you mentioned this earlier. I think this is their idea of filmed version of an opera. And the structure of the movie and how parts of it are larger than life and yet artificial it all seems very opera-like. So I, I get it now. I, yeah. I really do. I, I just wished uh, there was more to it at the end. But I, but then I think it's not even about where it gets you to. It's like, it's like what's happening along the way. Um, and, yeah. you know, we rarely see people who are that dislikable, just inherently mean and evil even, portrayed on screen. So good for them. So there's right. more to it. There is more to yeah. it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's streaming. I might decide to watch it. Okay. Okay. Joe, just do this. Just watch the first 10 minutes. I assure you, you love it. Forget the rest of the movie. Don't watch <laughs> okay. it. Just the opening number. Yeah, and I would recommend... The opening number it, is great. It's so lovely. And, and it's got... It's got... It's here we start. Here we start. Come on, here we start. It, I'm sorry. I don't want to sing, but it, it's it's a earworm. It's stuck in my head. It doesn't leave. It's a <laughs> catchy tune. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, and and how they all come together, and it's just it's beautiful. Watch the first ten minutes at least. Sounds good. All right, moving on. Okay. Movie number three of the week is The Many Saints of Newark. So Yasti, background, please. So yes. So the storyline for The Many Saints of Newark is young and soprano. Yes that soprano from the Sopranos is growing up in one of the most tumultuous Newark's history becoming a man just as rival gangsters begin to rise up and challenge the all-powerful DeMeo crime family's hold over the increasingly race-torn city. Caught up in the changing times is the uncle he idolizes, Dickie Moltisanti, who struggles to manage both his professional and personal responsibilities and whose influence over his nephew will help make the impressionable teenager into the all-powerful mob boss we later come to know, Tony Soprano. So essentially, this is uh, written by uh, David Chase, who wrote all of the Sopranos uh, episodes uh, while it was on HBO and often regarded as one of the best uh, TV shows ever made. Uh, So this is him writing about how Tony Soprano came to be when he was a younger kid. Uh, it's directed by Alan Taylor, and it has a pretty impressive star cast. It includes uh, Alessandra Nivolo as the uncle. Leslie Odom Jr. is here. Vera Farmiga is here. John Bernthal is here, as is Corey Stoll and Ray Liotta. And uh, the teenage Tony Soprano is played by Michael Gandolfini, who is the original Gandolfini's very own biological son. So you guys both saw The Many Saints of Newark. What do you guys think about it? Is it a worthy prequel to the original, much-lauded television series? So, I mean, I was a big fan of The Sopranos. I think everyone was back in the day. Um, And 
it was really nice to go back and um, remind yourself of some of these characters. My only um, difficulty with that is that it's a lot of time has elapsed since this show ended and this, you know, kind of prequel, spin-off, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I forgot some of the key characters. I was almost being reintroduced to them and, you know, I'll, I'll just use an example, but, you know, Tony Soprano's sister Janice um, is a character that I've almost completely erased from my mind and, you know, it, I kind of had to remember who she became to kind of understand the behaviors that they were trying to show. So um, when we came out of the screening, you know, the, the usual press agent was there to kind of collect our thoughts. And she said, what do you think about this? And, you know, I, I think this is going to kind of sum up my re review, but it was basic fan service. And I think mm. to me, it felt like it had lots of those kind of smiley nostalgic moment, nostalgic moments where you see a character that, you know, may not have been a central character, but a very likable character uh, just pop up in their younger form and you go, oh, I can see why you became that. But it, it's it's fan service. It, it's for the fans. It's not necessarily a, st a good, good enough standalone movie. I don't think it works well as a mob movie. Um, and so overall, you know, it's mediocre, but but really one for the diehard Soprano fans. You said it way more articulately than I could put it, Joe. Um, I agree with everything you've said. I enjoyed it in the moment, but I was expecting a little bit more. Yasti, were you, were you a fan of the show? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I think it's not nostalgic enough and it doesn't, you know, I think this is why I don't make movies clearly. Two minutes at the beginning, which they attempt to do, two minutes at the beginning where they had reference to maybe these characters in the show would have really helped us, I think, like a summary or a look back. It's one of those movies, it's narrated by Christopher, the character Christopher, who was um, Tony Soprano's nephew. So it's narrated from him as a dead person um, playing back the history um, there's a really good story in here, but I wanted it to be more mobby. It, it didn't rise mm. to the greatness of something like Goodfellas, um, which is like my golden standard for, for mobster movies. Um, it, it, it didn't quite commit to being in the same realm of how good Sopranos was as a TV show. Um, and it didn't quite deliver on the mob stuff either and so I think mediocre is a great great uh, term for it I did love I think Michael Gandolfini is a great actor and it's really hard to be your father I think um, mm. I, I didn't but I didn't understand why it was important to see it from his perspective nothing in the youthful um, Tony Soprano felt authentic to what Tony Soprano became. Um, I think this is the movie of the character Dickie Moltisanti. Like the whole movie is really his story, who was, you know, clearly the uncle who inspired him and who is actually Christopher's father. And we didn't hear right. much about that character during the show. So it's strange to take a whole, um, you know, a whole series and then base a 
prequel on someone that didn't even appear in the Sopranos TV show or wasn't mentioned more than maybe five times in 10 years. And only then in a line of dialogue, never an appearance on screen. Correct, correct. So it's strange. It is interesting from a historical perspective of how the area of of where they live in Newark changed over time. So it's interesting from that perspective. And then it's a strange choice for me that Ray Liotta is doing two roles in the movie. Um, So, I don't know. It's it's okay. It was great to be in the universe again. Um, I loved seeing, yeah, like you said, it was great to see some of the younger versions of the older characters. But none of them got to breathe the other characters. Again, you could have made this a very focused movie just about... um, the Dickie Moltisanti character. And I think Alessandro Nivola was great as that character. He had a lot of range and depth, but they could have made it a little bit more focused then. The story we all want to see is the the genesis of Tony Soprano. We, we want to see that so turning, badly. That we want to see point. the, you know, like just like we wanted to see the transition from Anakin Skywalker into Darth Vader. Yes. Like, we wanted that journey. We wanted what? like... What? They're the same person? <laughs> anyway, carry on. <laughs> right. I mean, but that, that right. that's kind of what we wanted to see. And I think, you know, this movie kind of says, oh, well, that's just kind of incidental. There is a nod to it at the end. And the fi- in fact, the, the movie's closing scene allows a look at the character where you can see the cog start to turn uh, to, to kind of demonstrate the path that is ahead of this. But I think, you know, it's a little disingenuous to even refer to it as a prequel in many ways because um, it, it has so little to do with, with the TV show. And I, one, of, one of the questions it kept raising to me during my kind of watching of this was, was The Sopranos as good as I remember? Because this mm, is no case. This it is was. a good movie, um, but it, it's not. It's not working, and it's totally similar to that Sopranos kind of. Uh, you know, the, the matter of fact. But what what I think I loved about the the Sopranos at the time was. I like how you did your hands. Then uh, uh, I know I did the Italian. Joe did the Italian hand finger shaking. What I liked about the show at the time um, was just this idea that mobsters have families. And Goodfellas, no, but but Goodfellas first allowed us into that world, but they were still all psychopaths, right? And in in Sopranos, he was often, you know, he was talking to his therapist about family life and his kids and his wife and, you know, just, you know, pressures of work. Um, we'd never seen that before and it, it felt so original, so unique, but I don't know whether that uniqueness kind of overrode the execution because the, you know, the this movie had... A similar feel to The Sopranos, but it, it, it felt a little um, amateurish, dare mm. I say it? it? You know, it didn't have the punch of a Scorsese thing. And maybe that's something that seeing it in the theatre, seeing it feature length brings. You kind of want it to have that, you know, Scorsese mobster punch, you know, a casino or a you know taxi driver or, a, you know, and you don't get that. So, hmm. I mean, I remember... Maybe I need to revisit the original Sopranos, but I remember most episodes, single episodes of Sopranos 
was better than almost anything playing in the theater Correct. At because the writing was so complex and the dialogue was like it would take your breath away and i i think it, it was the first show language joe would swear all the time <laughs> really? on a monday morning joe would be like a sailor but <laughs> i i just i was just amazed by the genius of how Oh, it was peeling off these different characters and telling you more about his wife and telling you more about his daughter and so forth. And it was so clever. So in a way, it's disappointing to hear that the same writer is revisiting this character, I don't know, when, when Sopranos went off the air, at least 10 years ago, if not longer, um, and not bringing more to the table, just in terms of the structure of the story. So that's disappointing. I think it's trying to do too much. I think it's trying to cover too much of the universe. And again, I think a much tight, tightly edited story just around that character, uh, the Moltisanti character, would have been actually a really great movie. It, it, but it became too ambitious about tying in all of the other pieces, in a sense. So, um, And it's not short. It's a long movie. And do you think he was... David Chase is thinking of having multiple movies leading up to the Soprano series. Like you said, he kind Almost of like the a... Better Call Saul right. franchise, right? With the Breaking Bad. I, I don't know. I kind of wish yeah. that that's the direction they had taken because I think it's it's a goldmine here. I mean, we love these characters mm-hmm. and we want to see that. And Better Call Saul is a great reference, actually, because that that's doing the same thing. It's a prequel that leads to um, the genesis of what was not, a huge character in Breaking Bad. It was a spin-off. Um, so, you know, I guess they've, they've taken a similar direction here. And, and But doing it as a movie, I think, had, adds a lot of pressure because you can't have the character development. And again, because it's a character that you weren't familiar with in the show, it may as well have been any made-up character about any made-up mob. You know, we're not... We're, we're getting these, like, dotted line ties to characters that we know and love... But we're not really interested in this guy because of the relationship that we developed with him in the show. We're just not. We don't know who he is. It's Christopher's dad. Never, never showed his face in the movie, in the in the show. So, I mean, you know, yeah. what, what what does it really have to do with Sopranos? Yeah. Not much. I mean, great performances. There's a great performance by Vera Farmiglia, Farmiga. Mm-hmm. Um, great performance by um, Michaela De Rossi, who plays. Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, the the Moltisanti character's stepmother. Um, you know, the, again, Michael Gandolfini really sh- shows up very well. It's a very subtle performance about, you know, there's a lot of teen angst and growing up and that's, he's done a really good job. And for what it's worth, the Soprano final episode aired in 2007. Wow. So it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Gosh. And I haven't revisited, because of, because, of my, because of my specific annoyance at the way that the Sopranos ended that final episode, mm-hmm. the infamous, um, you know, mm-hmm. cut without, without conclusion. Um, I haven't revisited the Sopranos since then. I was so angry about the ending for for such a long time that I couldn't bring myself it tarnished my whole experience of having watched the multiple seasons like literally it's like come on 
like give us the ending that we need don't don't do what you did for artistic reasons you know sure we were all talking about it but i hate you um david chase and because of that i think it's a long time between episodes for me to you know recall some of the details i think you know the fans of the you know the people who've watched the box sets and over and over and over you know worn out the dvds they they catch it on hbo you know every time they can see it those are the people that i think will get the most out of this movie so why that's a good sum up so why don't you give it a score yeah six out of ten i was really and that's that's very generous i mean I, I, i was you know it was fun to be back in the world. It was fun to kind of get those little moments of... And, and that's the thing. I think had I done a refresher course on Sopranos before going in to see this movie, it would have probably gone up by at least a point uh, because there are little Easter eggs there for the fans, things for you to pick out and, and go, you know, oh, you know, even little ancillary characters, you know, Sal, you know, and Paulie. You know, you, you see, and it's not immediately obvious who they are, but then it is. And then it's like, of course, it's them. And it's like, oh, but I hadn't thought about Paulie since 2007. So, you know, um, if you'd done a refresher course, it would have probably been a little more satisfying. It doesn't stand on its own merits as a, as a movie. Uh, so, you know, it's between a five, a five and a six, and I'll be generous and give it the six. Rashmi. Yeah, feeling a bit more generous for me. It's a seven. Hmm disappointing but again you know i was a super fan and nice to see that universe again i just wanted more yeah i bet they're regretting not having like sopranos in the title of the movie because i think nobody's going to get that this is a prequel to sopranos at least if they just show up at the theater not that anybody shows that shows up at the theater these days yeah and the title doesn't even make sense to me like who are the many saints of newark it doesn't tell you who the many saints are and so i i think the title is not good yeah yeah all right well with that let's wrap up the podcast um too many movies too little time uh, more and we, more movies. Yeah, I know. More and more movies, and these are just the ones we talked about. There's so many others that I know. we've all seen that we could fill up hours and hours. Yeah, and it's going to get to that time of year. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the awards play out this year because last year was such a mess with the extended season and the you know the, the extended um, award season because things did got delayed. And I mean, I I just don't know how it's going to play out, but. Um, We'll, we'll see. There's some things that are coming that I'm very excited about. So, um, yeah, it's June, not least. I'm annoyed they moved Top Gun out. The French Dispatch. Yeah. <laughs> Has yes. that got rescheduled? Yes. Okay. I don't know when it's coming. Well, if I don't get Top Gun, you're not going to get but Anderson. Before... <laughs> <laughs> I think she's going to get Anderson before you get Boo. Top Gun. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. <laughs> Right. And the new Matrix movie is going to be out. Yes. The, the you, House of Gucci movie is going to be out. Last Duel. There's so many movies. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. And then there's the movie with Tom Hanks and a dog and a robot. What's not to like? It's called oh Fitch. Oh Finch. <laughs> Come on. Already, Tom Hanks and dog and robot. Sounds I already love it. it sounds like Turner it. and Hooch. <laughs> the remake the 2020 no I already love it exactly no, the 2020s I, no, the I already love it and hate it in equal amount yeah <laughs> no because <laughs> it's kind of like what was that uh, Castaway yeah 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 I yeah. I, I, I I love that I movie I love it even though I hate the movie 
No, like, I only I didn't like the movie. idea of it going in. I didn't like the idea of it coming out. And I enjoyed every darn second of it. Tom Hanks. Yep. All right. Too many movies, too little time. A goodbye from me. And me. And me as well. Thank you.